0: of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. This is God's word.
1: Amen. Formula or breast milk? Cloth or store-bought? Sign language or just wait it out so they can actually talk? Spankings or time-outs? Deprivations or rewards? TV or no TV? And at what age should I start introducing my child to my iPad? What kind of schooling? How many sports? And I hear if my child begins a musical instrument, they're most likely to get a college scholarship. How many vegetables? Are they getting enough calcium? Do I have enough protein in dinner tonight? Is it a phase or is this a real character flaw I should be worried about? Is it peer influenced or just your father-in-law visiting last week and all his shenanigans? Are sleepovers okay, and if so, at what age, especially in this day and time? When should I talk about body stuff, sex stuff, peer pressure, and which parent? Should I start pushing the extracurriculars now that they're getting closer to university? Is now the time to give them more freedom before they leave the household? And if so, with that boy, or with that girl, parenting, right? Sometimes complicated, usually overwhelming and exacerbated by all kinds of criteria and mixed motives that we bring into every decision we make with and behalf of this child of ours, moms and dads. So let's take a deep breath, right, and start at the beginning. Simplify things, start at the beginning where Proverbs starts, Proverbs chapter 1, this book about wisdom and making greater decisions in life proverbs 1 verse 7 it's on your news sheet the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge this is a father saying to his son keep in mind what all this is for and without which none of what follows matters in other words, he's saying to his, his child, wisdom is so you will fear God, and fearing God is the key to unlocking all this wisdom and knowledge from which, which I'm about to share with you for 31 chapters. It starts with a proper fear of God. And that's sort of the main point of this brief message this morning, that to foster in your child a fear of God. To foster in your child a fear of God, but it's not our message in a nutshell this morning, for those of you who know that and have been here before. Not quite our message in a nutshell, because I want to simplify this idea of fostering in your child a fear of God a little bit further. A question I get as a pastor is, what does it mean to fear God? And without even being able to answer yet, usually people follow up by sharing that they wouldn't want to worship a God who wants to be feared. Their conception of God and maybe even yours this morning, is as an all-seeing supreme being capable of big wrath and big consequences for wrongdoing. So, so fearing him is sort of living under this constant watchful gaze of this big God. And you know what? They're right. But that's only partially right. If you reject God's invitation for a life, not only now but eternally in Jesus Christ, The Bible says there is a big punishment. But God is also big in mercy. He's big in patience towards you as you try to make that consequential decision. Big in power. Big in a plan where all things work together for good. So fearing God then is seeing him rightly as big and living accordingly. That's what it means to fear God because he is truly big in all these ways that I've mentioned. As some of you know, because I I mentioned this a few weeks ago, talking about the fear of God, my preferred way to illustrate a proper fear of God is by asking the question, do you tend to view God through a magnifying lens or a telescopic lens? Psalm 34 verse 3. Oh, oh, magnify the Lord with me. As I once heard someone rightly observe regarding this verse, there are two types of magnification. A magnifying glass and a telescope. And they're very different, right? What does a magnifying glass do? A magnifying glass makes actually small things, things that are actually in real life very tiny, appear actually quite big to us, right? That's what a magnifying glass does and that's often how we view life. These are the things we tend to fear most often: how a friend will respond, how a, how a boss will react, what he will say, right? How my child will turn out. Small things that we make very very large in our eyes. Whereas a telescope, a telescopic lens magnifies small looking stars and planets and it makes them look closer to their actual size, right? You, you look through this lens and you see something big and you start to see parts of the planet and the craters and different things, right? And it's beautiful. To fear God is to magnify who he really is, to rightly see as big what otherwise may appear small, insignificant, or just far away, as many people conceive of God. He's, he's far. He's insignificant. He's not near to me. The love of God, his perfection, his patience, his sovereignty over everything is massive. So, so fearing him is when he becomes larger in our own eyes and those smaller fears are put in place. They become smaller. Or as Oswald, Sanders, or Oswald Chambers put it, the remarkable thing is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So once we get fear of God right, it can help us not only as individuals, but certainly as parents. So so our main sort of question I want us to be asking in a nutshell this morning is this. Am I making God big or just teeny tiny small? And this is a question for all of us, right? Not just parents. Every day, with my daily decisions, with my life, and in my parenting, Am I making God big, as he is, or am I making him small, as he is, in fact, not? Because as we relate to our child, we're constantly putting two different lenses in front of their eyes, one of two lenses, either the telescopic lens, to help them see God as big as he really is, or that lens of fear, fearing everything else there is to fear in life. So we're going to talk about this morning, and there are three ways we see in Proverbs that can help our child see God through that telescopic lens. It's help our child see God as he is, even if he feels distant and far away. We're going to see that in three ways in Proverbs. First of all, you can help your child begin to foster in your child that kind of view of God through instruction. You can help begin to foster in your child that view of God through discipline. And finally, through instinct. So we're going to talk about each of these before this morning. First of all, helping your child foster a big view of God that God is the biggest deal through instruction. And learning to fear God is both caught and taught. Example and through intentional teaching. So first, it's caught. Look at Proverbs 14, 26 in your new sheet. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and its children will have a refuge. There is no way, guys, to fake God being big in your life. You just can't fake it. Kids have a radar for this sort of thing, and you know that as they sniff out other things and inconsistencies in your life, no doubt. So so if you're here this morning at sunrise, mostly because you want your kids to grow up in church and be influenced by the people around them in church, i.e., we instruct them. Please understand, we will have limited influence, as Brett mentioned earlier. We will have limited influence on helping your child see Jesus as the biggest deal in their life. You are going to have the most influence on that, parents. Proverbs indicates that your child will find refuge, a refuge to which they can return repeatedly as they catch their parents making God their biggest deal. As they repeatedly see you, parents, making God a big deal in their life, when they encounter hard things, they're going to remember, they're going to say, I saw my mom, I saw my dad make God a big deal when they went through something hard. And that's going to be a refuge for them all the days of their life. They're going to be able to return to that example and say, maybe, just maybe God will be big for me too. So what does this look like? It's more than just, you know, your child catching you reading the Bible, praying, or singing worship along with Big Fish Radio, although it is those things certainly. But it's when they catch me choosing to forgive in the face of bitterness, right, when they Catch me cooking or cleaning with thankfulness, which is admittedly rare. Um, when, they, when, when I ask my child a thoughtful question and I actually listen to their whole response, even though it seems completely random when they respond, but I listen. When my child catches me working hard for my household, when my child catches me choosing to make my spouse a priority and go out with them on a date, even when that child begs you to stay home, and it seems just easier to stay home, but yet you choose to fear God and put a priority on loving your spouse as Christ loved the church first. When my child catches me laughing through tears, seeing that I can rejoice in the midst of suffering. It's when I set aside time to seek God with them. A prayer, reading the Bible together, and a song after dinner. It's when they catch me caring for someone else when I thought no one else was looking. Something like Children's Heart Project. Imagine what it would be like to observe for your child to observe and, and watch you participate in, in hosting an impoverished family who needs help. That's going to stick with them the rest of their days. They're going to find a refuge in that. So first of all, that kind of fear of God is taught. It's caught, but it's also taught. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now there's many things we need to verbally teach a child, and one of the most important that Katie and I have found is this. To have with your child a high standard, but even higher grace. High standard, even higher grace. God's high standard expressed in his word, should be reflected in the way we parent our children in terms of the clear expectations we set for them, for sure. But while you may vary and flex on application, like when to do chores because your child's getting more busy with other stuff, or... You know, at what age is it appropriate to have certain kind of eye contact, and certain kind of interaction with adults from, right, 3 years old to 12 years old? Those things may vary, but you don't need to give in, guys, on a high standard for your child. In fact, I would exhort you not to. However, you also need to teach your child verbally early on that God's gray, grace expressed in Jesus Christ is even higher than that standard. It's even greater than that standard. So just as Jesus is quick to forgive, so should we be quick to forgive. Just as Jesus came down to be on our level, we should get down on our knees with our kids to express tenderness and forgiveness towards them. So yes, high standard, but even higher grace, and that should be communicated to our kids. We asked about I asked our children about this the other night, just last night at the dinner table. How are we doing? How are we doing on high standards and high grace? And when they got to the grace part. Our youngest, Gage, said, "Now you guys are pretty good at forgiving. But after you forgive, sometimes you just keep talking, <laughs> like about what I did wrong. I was like, you know what? We need to receive that as parents. We need to receive that and learn and remember that, hey, once we are tender with and forgive our child, we, we need to cut it off there. That's what they should be left with. So high standard, high grace. And for the most part, children will learn this, and they won't depart from it. But we can recall from our earlier messages that Proverbs are not precise promises. Proverbs are generally true when combined with patience and prayer, generally true. But they're not guarantees. Not every child who you train up well is going to grow into a Christian. They need to make that decision for themselves as the Holy Spirit works on their hearts. But generally speaking, children are very much like saplings, like baby trees, right? Early on, bendable, pliable, easy to prune. And as they grow, they start to take shape, right? And they start to harden into oaks and maples and mahogany trees. And that's who they become. Generally, children are like that. So I want to give you a little encouraging story about the long-term benefits of training your child. Ian McCormick was an adventurous dude who began as a teenager to sort of stray from his parents' training, from their verbal teaching. And even as he drifted, his mom would tell him, Ian, I'm not going to force you towards God, but remember this one thing. Whatever you do in life, wherever you go, no matter how far you think you've gone from God, remember this one thing. If you're in trouble and you're in your need, cry out to God from your heart. He's going to hear you. He really will hear, hear, hear you and forgive you. And Ian said later that he remembered those words, and why that's so important he remembered those words is during one of his crazy adventures in Australia, Ian was uh, stung multiple times by a box jellyfish. And if you don't know what a box jellyfish is, it's appropriately named because almost everyone who's stung by one ends up in a box, usually die within five to ten minutes due to cardiac arrest or respiratory failure. So... He starts to tell this story, and you can actually find his testimony online if you want Ian McCormick, but he gets to talk about this incredible journey from water to hospital while slowly getting paralyzed all over his body. And he remembers two things that his mom taught him as he was dying, crying out to God when in trouble. And he remembers the Lord's Prayer that his mom taught him from a young kid. So as he lay dying, he went through the Lord's Prayer line by line, line by line, as he got to, Forgive us, Lord our transgressions. Forgive us our transgressions. At that moment, he genuinely asked God to forgive his trespasses. And he became a Christian in that moment. Why? Because he remembered the training from his youth. See, Ian tried to, to lead that training, that training about the fear of God, the training about how God is, but that training never left him, did it? So let that be encouragement for many of you who maybe have seen your child depart. Don't give up hope. There's still time. So one way we want to make God big to our children as he is is through training, through instruction, but also we do it through discipline. And this is the hardest one, right? Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 22, verse 15. I'll read that as well. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So we're gonna work through these verses a little bit together here, okay? So first, a child left to himself or herself. How many of you guys know that child? How many of you guys know a family with that child with that? They are just left to themselves. Solomon knew such children, children left to themselves firsthand. He had older brothers and sisters, fathered by his dad, King David, who were much older than him. And David's sort of method of parenting was the classic, eh, they'll turn out fine. Right? Sort of that like, just through osmosis, through being around godly people, being around my kingdom, being around the priests and stuff, eh, they'll be fine. They'll turn out fine. So he was removed from them. He never really engaged their hearts. He didn't engage, for instance, the lustful heart of one son named Amnon. And that son did something really bad to a family member. And David gets mad. He's really mad about it, but he doesn't ever confront Amnon. He doesn't ever engage him or discipline him. So as other his oldest son decides to take on that role for David. He decides that he's going to take justice into his own hands, and he plots to hurt his guilty brother. And he does so. And that older brother named Absalom exiles himself. But once again, even as he leaves the kingdom, his dad, David, does nothing. So eventually a couple of people conspire to confront David about this. David eventually lets his son back into the kingdom. But he doesn't go even talk to him. What does he figure? Ah, he'll be fine. He'll turn out okay. And of course, that son, Absalom, goes after his father's kingdom and his father's life. David made other friendships, made military relationships, made his children's temporary happiness. He made those things big, and he made his God-assigned parenting small. Everything else is big, looking good to the kingdom, looking good to others, even keeping his children temporarily happy, but fearing God by doing the right thing in his child's life. Small. I want to say something real quick to, to my friends here, many friends without kids. Here's a way you can serve us. Please don't say when you hang out with us and our kids are around, ah, leave them be. They'll turn out fine. They're fine. They're okay. Because when we hang out with you, as we want to be with you, we want to listen to you. We know we have kids around. We don't want them to be doing things they shouldn't be doing. Because we want to listen to you. We are tempted to make you big in our lives. We're tempted to make you the biggest thing, we could really use help. We could use help from you just to say, you know what? Go do what you got to do. Go be a parent. Go be a dad. Go be a mom. So if you're hanging out with us, please encourage us that way. Don't, you don't have to preach to us. to say, hey, you know, go do what you got to do. That helps release us as parents to intervene and be responsive to our children. Just a side note there. Guys, children left to themselves will drift. And drifting is always a bad thing, right? I've never heard a testimony where someone said, you know what, I was far from God, but all of a sudden I drifted into godliness. (laughs) No one ever said like, hey, I I was so far rebelling against God, but I just drifted one day into a relationship with him. No one drifts well, and the same is with children who aren't engaged by their parents. And discipline is one of God's appointed means to wake up drifting children to get back onto the path of wisdom. And say that again, discipline is one of God's appointed means to wake up, drifting children, get them back on the path of life and of wisdom. The reason they drift, the reason they won't turn out fine is what we read in Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Every child is born with this heart disease called sin, or as it's described here, Folly. Discipline is one of God's appointing means to remind a child that God's standard is very high and they are very stubborn. And it's meant to to jolt them back into obedience, to jolt them to see their need for God, see their need for God's help as even a child. As one gentleman I heard say, something will be broken in your house, either your child's will or your heart. One of those two will be broken. Either your child's stubborn will, wanting only what they want, or your heart as you see them drift and roam away from God and life in him. So I want to encourage you guys avoid that temptation of what, you know, whatever, they'll be fine, or, or whatever works. Whatever works to move the child out of their stubbornness. Ted Tripp, in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which we just handed out up here, he reminds us of this. When experts tell you that, some, that you must find what works with each child, We've heard that before, right? Just find whatever works with each child. They are saying you must find the idols of the heart that will move this child. So, so when we resort to screen time, when treats, right, shows on TV, or guilt or shame to sort of move our child, to, to make them relent in their stubbornness, we are making all those things big, all those idols big in their life, and we're making God small. Proverbs, thankfully, gives us a basic outline of what works with disciplining our children towards God, towards this big God. Chapter 29, verse 15, there on your new sheet. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So it is appropriate at a young age to use corporal punishment. A swift, firm pop with one's hand or the wooden spoon onto your child's hindquarters. It's okay. Take into account, though, a few things. First of all, two sinners. There are two sinners in the room every time you interact with your child. They're not just rebelling. You always have the capability of rebelling. So you never want to exercise this in anger. It's never to preserve either your own authority. Also take into account your own personality and history. If you're prone to a bad temper, you're prone to anger, or you have a history of abuse in your life, you may want to not do that. I would encourage you to refrain, maybe delegate that to your spouse but it can be appropriate, but used only in conjunction with reproof. The rod and reproof. Verbal discipline. I want to encourage you towards the three E's. Every time you discipline a child, explain, extend, and encourage. Explain to them why they're being punished. Extend to them afterwards, as they say sorry, that you forgive them wholeheartedly. And encourage them. Remind them you're their special child in some way. You can do this even with teenagers. Just to remind them how much you love them and do it genuinely. Explain and Extend encourage. Authority is never to be raw anger, by the way. When we use anger to discipline, we are training a child to make man big and God small. There's one other way to lead our child into seeing God big and to fear him and respect him as he is, and that is through instinct, through instinct. Read with me, if you would, chapter 23, verses 15 through 19. My son... If your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. So imagine a world in which as you read that to your child, those words are not motivated by manipulation, right? My son... If your heart is wise, my heart will be glad too. When you praise God, I'll be happy. Right? We've all met the parent who has said even out loud, don't you just want to make mommy happy? Right? And it is, you cringe when you hear that, right? Please, don't you just want to make mommy happy? And you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure. I'm not even a parent. I know that is not a good method for parenting. We don't want to do that, but there is a sense in which the most instinctive and right motive for a child is to want to please his parent above everyone else. This motive to please a parent is meant to grow into this desire to please a child's heavenly parent. So they start with you as their example, and then they they, they evolve into wanting to please their heavenly parent, their heavenly father, once the child matures into a knowledge of God and what he requires. So these verses are meant to be a look-forward-to outcome of a child as he or she makes God big in his life or her life. That this will be pleasing both to them and to you, and joy will be created out of this. Now, our kids just came in and sat down. And kids, I'm so glad you're here. And I want to address you guys for a minute, okay? Is that all right? Yeah, I got one shoulder shrug. That's fine. Yeah, I guess so. I'm here. I don't know if you got to hear those verses, Leanda and everyone else, but I'm going to read them again up on the screen. So read them with This is addressing kids. This is a parent addressing his kid. I want you to hear this as well. My child, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. And my inmost being will be so happy when your lips speak what is right. Don't let your heart be jealous of other people, but continue fearing God, making God big in my life all day. Surely there's a future. Your hope will not be cut off. Pretty encouraging, right? Hopefully that makes your heart happy to hear that. Children, you guys were created to want to please your parent. And there's sometimes you're not going to feel that. But you ever had that moment when your mom or your dad was so happy and it just made you so happy? Yeah, right? And that's the way it's supposed to work, that we delight and you delight. You're happy about making mom and dad happy. Mom and dad get more and more happy when you make God the biggest deal in your life. He's the biggest. Jesus is the biggest to you and the biggest deal in every decision you make. And it's your parents' job to make God look big as he is. And everything else is small in comparison to him. This means your parents are going to often make hard decisions with God in mind and not have your smaller wants and needs in mind. There There's sometimes, right, when you want something so badly and your parents have to say no, right, or they have to say some other time. It's because they're concerned about making God big. They're concerned about eternity, your eternity, your future, as it says in verse 18, surely there's a big future for you with a big God. Do you know that? So your parents' job is to make sure they preserve that, to keep you walking with and getting to know a big God. Do you guys see this long rope across the stage? Everybody see that, kids? Can you see it? Or You can stand up and look at it if you need to. That's okay. Go ahead, stand up if you need to look. This rope across the stage represents eternity with Jesus, who loves you and he gave himself for you. And this little marble, I'm going to show you this little marble on my pocket. This little marble represents your life. This is your life, okay, your life, and this is eternity with Jesus. So all this, I even put a little dot. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see this, Layla, this little dot right there on the marble? That represents that thing you really want so badly. You want so badly, and sometimes your parents say no. They they. They may not let you have that yummy treat that you want so much. And it feels like the biggest deal to you. You want it so badly, right? I just want that. I can't think of anything else. But really, it's just a little speck. Your parents are thinking about eternity. They're thinking about your eternal life and raising you so you'll see God is big and Jesus is big. They don't let you maybe sleep over at the house of one of your most fun friends. And it's kind of disappointing it feels like they force you to do chores when you're already tired from homework and other things. It feels like the biggest deal. And it seems so annoying that they make you all the time shake, a, shake an adult's hand and look them in the eye. <sighs> it's such a big deal. They never let you, teenagers, too, they never let you stay out as long as your friends get to stay out. And it's such a big deal to you. But it, in reality, it's just a speck. So up up on this rope, guys, somewhere against this rope, there's a tiny little marble like this one representing your life here on this earth. Can you guys see the marble? Where is it? Leander, you see it? Right here? Oh, there's no marble. You see it where? No, it's pretty hard to see, right? That's because our life here is so short. It's so small. And your parents are parenting you for eternity. They're, they want to parent you so you find life eternal. So your wants and your needs you are sometimes going to feel like, man, mom is being harsh to me. I don't get this. Or dad's being harsh to me. They're disciplining you because they want you to have this life. They're not concerned as much about this tiny life. Turns out the marble is right here. All right? Right here. David, you want this? you Hey, buddy. You can have it. Guys, compared to a big God, n- your life is small. God is much bigger. The life he has for you in Jesus Christ is so much bigger than even the small things you want so much and mommy and daddy say no. God asks mommy and daddy to, to parent towards the line, not the dot. Parent towards eternity, not the moment. To make a big deal out of God, the biggest deal, and make everything else small in comparison, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I pray for each of these children that, that they would see you as big in love, big in. Patience, big in compassion, big in power, and big in all things work together, plan. And I pray that each of these children were, would encounter a big God at work in their lives and through their parents as well. God, help all of us here constantly be asking the question Am I making God big in my life or am I making him small? With this decision, am I making God big or small? And God, we know that we as parents will fail. We're going to fail to meet your high standards. There's going to be times when we make our child's grades big. We're going to make their successes big, their health and well-being the biggest thing, or how our child makes us look. We're going to make that big, and it's wrong. But it also gives us an opportunity, Lord, to say that we're sorry and make an even bigger deal about you, our Savior, Jesus, who rescues us from our failures. So please help us humble ourselves as parents in these moments and take advantage of your even higher grace and make a big deal about you, Jesus, always. And so fear you with our lives and show our children a big God. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.